phase is locked and ready to fire, sir. Illogical. Hello and welcome everyone. Floyd from Federation Radio here and I am back. Now, we're finally going over Star Trek's first two-part episode called The Menagerie. Which you might remember is what Captain Pike called the Talosian prison in episode zero, the pilot. He called it a menagerie. Which is kind of an accurate term, but this episode, you know, even the title of it, is completely a reference to that episode. And upon rewatching it, <laughs> this episode, I have to say, as a TV thing, was absolutely a cost-saving way of expanding the size of the series. Well, not expanding, but keeping it as a long season, but saving some of their budget for later. Because this was what they like to call bottle episodes, where they use very few assets. Most of the episode takes place in one room, and it tends to be one of those remember-when episodes, where they go back and they show you clips from the past, mixed in with little scenes of characters basically in one room, talking about the clips and talking about events in the past. In the past, it was an old-school way of, like I said, flattening out a series, making it longer, because, you know, if you need 20-something episodes for a season, but you want to give it all a pretty good go, and you only have a certain budget, you might want to save some dollars somewhere. So part one and two was a really good mid-season way of doing a, oh, here's a cool episode, but it cost us like a quarter of the budget, which means we can save that budget for either end-of-season episodes or to do something else really cool later. So they would do these like little bottle episodes. Star Trek is famous for it. There's quite a few of them with like two characters stuck in a shuttle pod, two characters stuck in a thing like this. You know, they do all this all the time. It, it's an old-school TV thing. These days in the streaming service, you know, era that we live in, you don't really get them anymore because these days, instead of a season needing to have an episode every week to be aired, if the season just wants to have 10 episodes or 11 episodes or just 5, they can do that. Same as episode length. They don't have to be a certain length to fit a TV slot and then have a few minutes for ads. Like, if they want one episode to be 10 minutes or one episode to be an hour, they can do that now. But back then, that wasn't the case. This was the 60s. I mean, live TV was, even back in the 60s, probably not something that every household had. It was still an ongoing creative thing. So they were very choosy about what went on TV, and Star Trek just managed to scrape by and had to do these things. But I will say, this episode, while I'm sort of making out like it's a bottle episode and it's no good, it is actually not a bad episode. It was very memorable. Um... I'll also add, this episode, when it first aired, was a very, very intelligent way by the writers to both show Episode Zero, because remember, Episode Zero that we watched, the pilot episode, never initially aired on TV. The first episode was The Salt Vampire. That was the first thing anybody saw of Star Trek on TV. Now, Captain Pike in his Episode Zero pilot was accepted by the studio, but they weren't quite given the green light, and then there was a lot of rewrites, and they ended up coming back with Kirk's ship. This was a smart way for them to use all of that footage that they just had, presumably sitting around in a studio somewhere. You know, all the special effects were done, all the costuming was done, they didn't have to hire anybody. This was a way to get that footage that had probably been sitting on someone's desk into Star Trek and filter it within an episode, a two-part episode, and they show most of the pilot episode, which for me was kind of annoying because I'm watching it on Netflix now. So, like, I've already watched the pilot episode barely a few weeks ago. So, watching it again and feeling like I'm almost watching a reaction view of it from Kirk and Spock felt kind of weird. 
But as a standalone episode, it's actually pretty good. So this episode starts off with them showing up on a planet. And oh, is it a planet or is it Starbase 11? Whatever. They come to this place, Starbase 11, where there is a Commodore Mendez because Spock tells his Captain Kirk that he received a message that they needed to turn around and come here on a priority. Now, when they show up, everyone at the station's kind of surprised. Like, Commodore Mendez meets with Kirk and is like, oh, I'm surprised to see you back so soon. Kirk mentions the message and he's like, what message? I assure you, we sent no message. And then they think it comes from Captain Pike or Fleet Captain Pike. I guess at this point, they didn't want to talk about admirals. I don't know why there's no admirals, but uh, everyone seems to be a Commodore if they're not a captain or a fleet captain, which is something that we don't really hear about fleet captains later because fleet captain is basically just the role of an admiral. They're a captain who has been promoted to be the head of a fleet, more of an administration, top-down role, captain of the captains. But a fleet captain, whatever. Apparently Pike has become a fleet captain. However, we learn Captain Pike, we get to see him and he's in a chair and for any Doctor Who fans out there, it looks a lot like the Davros chair. Now, it's a chair that has a little yellow light in the middle and when I say chair, he's almost got, it looks like he's in a wheelchair and they've put these like plastic panels going up over his legs and his chest to hold him in place like it's a full body seat. The only thing sticking out is his head. And we see he's got burns and, like, all sorts of things all along his body. We get told that he was blasted with something called Delta Radiation. Now, we get told by the Commodore that it's impossible for Captain Pike, or Fleet Captain Pike, to have sent a message to Spock based on the fact that physically he is incapable of doing anything but flashing that light once for yes, two for no. He got injured... We get a description of, like, there was a cadet ship that he was going to look at. Now, we see more about cadet ships later. They're basically old ships that are not quite ready for retirement, but not quite up to scratch with what Starfleet wants on the front lines anymore. So they'll send them to Earth and other academy places, and they'll be used by cadets who are coming towards the end of their studies, and they're used for practical tests. That way they can get up. You want to be a helmsman, or you're studying to be an engineer? Well, here's a ship. Come work on it. It's a real functioning ship. You can test out your command. You can test out your skills. But you'll do it in a safe environment within a solar system with other star bases and ships nearby to help. And instructors like Captain Pike who would come aboard and check it out and make sure it's all working in order. It's actually a very good idea. I'm not sure if it's something that gets done in real life with navies. I, I guess it probably does. But then real life navy ships are huge and tend to have such... A huge number of crewmen that I wouldn't be surprised if they just have a sort of integration program where you just come on board and you're like one of ten people on a ship of hundreds who is learning and by the end of your first you know voyage however long you're out at sea you can be considered a proper navyman but I don't know maybe in places like America and Britain and France like nations that have large navies they probably do keep those old ships around for cadet like things but basically he went to observe it Something exploded on the ship, I forget what, but something went off and he went back in to make sure all the cadets got out. So he knew he was going to be hit with Delta Radiation and he decided to go in there anyway and get blasted with it because that's who Captain Pike is. He wanted to save these young people and let them get through their careers and have a future, even if it meant he sacrificed his own life. Except he didn't die. He lived. So now he's trapped in this chair and as the Commodore tells us, he is fully mentally there. 
mentally he's no different to anyone else. His lifespan isn't even cut short. He'll probably live just as long as everyone else. Except he physically will never be allowed, or never able, to get up from the chair. He'll never be able to help himself in or out of the chair. He'll sit there with his mind fully active, only being able to beep that light once for yes and twice for no. No communication, no speaking, he can't write, he just... he's trapped. Pretty pretty horrible existence. I mean, he is one step up from being a comatose patient. He's barely conscious. Like, he'd almost be better off being comatose, because at least then he could dream. Instead, he's just trapped in this chair. But, you know, obviously, once Kirk goes to see him with the Commodore, he's like, I don't understand why Spock wouldn't lie to me. If he says he got a message, he got it. Like, Kirk, and I love this too. The whole start of this episode, Kirk is adamant. Spock would not lie to me. For one thing, he's a Vulcan. Vulcans don't lie. They are logical. They don't go off half-cocked and emotional the way that me, or even says to Dr. McCoy, he's like, if you had the technical skills, I would even suspect you. But I wouldn't suspect him. And McCoy agrees. He says, yeah, I'm liable to go half-cocked off and do something stupid that I shouldn't do if I get really emotional, and so are you. But Spock? Like, I love the just across-the-board, like, the Commodore sort of suggests that it could be Spock, but, like, Kirk and McCoy are both like, no. No, absolutely not. Spock would never do anything like that. Like, they have absolute trust in everything Spock does and as a person, and I think that's cool. I like that as much, you know, as many jokes as they make and as much trap as they hang on Spock, they do appreciate him, and they respect him very highly, and they're willing to go to a Commodore, someone who is above their level in rank, and say to their face, no, your suspicions are wrong, it would not be Spock. Like, they don't even need to go talk to Spock or ask Spock questions, they are just, from the beginning, no, Spock would not do that. And that's awesome. But, uh, the funny thing is, in this case, they're wrong. Because Spock, while he doesn't lie, he will stretch the truth sometimes, and he's also loyal, probably to a fault. He's loyal to Kirk, we've seen that over and over, he's loyal to his ship. But he's also loyal to Pike. Pike was his captain for, I think he says, like, 11 years or something, but, like, he's loyal to Pike in the same way he's loyal to Kirk. If Pike had asked him for help even all these years later, Spock would drop everything and go. Now, it's interesting, because, like, the Commodore says to Kirk, like, you sure maybe he didn't just want to come and see Captain Pike? I'm surprised, because Kirk was unaware of Pike's condition. He wanted to go see him, thinking he was fine. He hadn't paid attention to the subspace messages. He didn't know that... You know, Pike was in a chair and that he was basically a vegetable now. But he wants to go see him and all that happens. They go see him and there's a little light flashing moment. But there is a moment where he says, no, I don't know any of these people. I don't wish to be seen because he just keeps saying, no, do you want it? You know, the Commodore says, these people have come to see you. Do you want to see them? Flash, beep, beep. Two flashes of the light. Like that means no. And then Kirk says, is there anything at all I can do for you? He flash, flash, no. But Spock, after they're about to leave, says, would you mind if I stayed for a moment longer, Captain Pike? And Pike hits once, just one flash, so he lets him stay. Now, we don't get to see what Spock says to him, but I think it's all a part of Spock's plan. I think at that point, the Talosians. Now, if you remember the Talosians, they're the guys in the first, or like the pilot episode, that could use their brain to create illusions extremely powerful telepaths and I think I could be wrong but I think at this point when the others left the room that was when Spock contacts them and gets them to basically show um, 
what's his name, Pike, that they're still there, that they're willing to help. Like, they did say you would be welcome back at any point, Captain Pike. In that world, his physical body, much like you might remember Vina, the pretty Frankenstein, as they called her, she looked beautiful and she seemed completely functional, but when they took away the illusion, she was a very damaged woman. Her body was basically destroyed. They did their best to help her, but they didn't know what they were doing. But they let her live a life of illusion, whereas they say she will live a full life. She will get to live and die being happy, looking the way she wants to look, living where she wants to live, which is a better life than the Federation could offer her. And Spock basically wants to offer Pike that. He's like, you're stuck in a chair. All you can do is flash once for yes and two for no. Like, you are mentally still there. You are still yourself. If I take you to Tolosians, you will be able to live a full life. At least I presume that's what he says, because we don't get to see it. He says, I'll stay back for a minute, and then it goes to black. And then we see in the next scene, it's Kirk talking to McCoy, having that discussion we talked about before, where they're both like, no, it's not possible, it can't be Spock. Even though all the evidence is sort of starting to point to Spock, they're like, no, this, this can't be happening. But then we get a scene of Spock. He's sneaking down into the communications or like engineering area of the Starbase, and there's a man down there who is currently going over all the tapes, trying to work out this subspace message, was it sent? Because we see the Commodore talk to this engineer earlier, like, well, check everything, have you checked it again? Alright, well, you've checked everything possible, I want you to check the impossible. You know, you just, like, be thorough, go over everything. If there is even the slightest chance someone sent a subspace message to the Enterprise to get Kirk to come back, I need to know about it. So that engineer's there, he's doing his thing, and then Spock shows up, sneaks in while he's out of the room, and Spock starts using tapes. Presumably he has been recording the captain's voice, or cutting together, editing different commands and voice recordings of Kirk to get these different messages. And he manages to send a message to the Enterprise, who at this point, remember, Kirk is on the station. So the Enterprise is being captained currently by the helmsman, I forget, Mr. Hansley or something. And Uhura is on the comms. Now, she gets a message from them, from, from the Starbase. It's actually from Spock, but she believes she's getting it from the Starbase computer voice saying, your computers will be uploading, well, sorry, it says, we are uploading right now a message to your computers. It will input navigation. You are to go on a confidential, on a confidential mission. Radio silence will be applied. Uh, Spock will be taking command temporarily, coming back on board. You are going to head to where the computers tell you. You are not to interfere. The location is scrambled. You are not to look at the location that you are going, and you are to hold radio silence. They ask for confirmation. They're like, what do you mean? No. As you would. You know, and the captain and the first officer and the doctor are all off the ship right now, and you suddenly receive a weird message from the computer telling you to leave the system. I'd be double-checking too. So Spock uses a tape where, like I said, he has been editing, and in that tape, it has Kirk's voice and says, Uhura, all stations are to listen to Spock. He will be taking command of this of this mission. It is all confirmed. And, you know, they sort of have to take that at its word because, well, it's Kirk and it's the Starbase, presumably under the command of the Commodore, and sometimes they do confidential missions where they have to go radio silent, so they don't question it too much. It seems a bit weird. And then we see Kirk and and the Doctor talking. And the Doctor gets a message from the ship, which, you know, we can now presume it's not a message from the ship. It's actually a message from 
Spock, who is doing the recording again, saying that there is a medical emergency on board and he needs to go aboard. The doctor says to Kirk, alright, I'll be back soon, try not to stress about this whole situation, we'll get it sorted out, I promise I'll tell you what's going on on the ship when I come back. So he goes up, and then the ship leaves. Kirk gets a message from the Commodore, well I think he's with the Commodore at the time, and they're like, the Enterprise is leaving, and it's not responding to any of our hails. And it's kind of this moment where Kirk looks at the Commodore like, Someone is stealing my ship out of your starbase. <laughs> it's all, if it was any other circumstances, it'd almost be comical, like just the way Shatner looks at him, just like you—you you allowed my ship to be stolen. <laughs> I don't know why. It's not that funny. It just—it made me laugh. It really got me that look. Now, Kirk gets a shuttle, and now here's the thing: he believes he is in the shuttle with the Commodore who has decided to use his command privilege to come along with him, and they're following the Enterprise, because what else can you do? Your ship's been stolen, he wants to go after it. He's trying to contact them, but they're continuing to ignore all hails. Now eventually, Kirk does something that uh, I think kind of broke what Spock was expecting. I'm, I'm sort of unsure on what Spock's original plan was. But uh, it seems like his plan was for Kirk to follow after. I, th I think he predicted that Kirk would follow. Now, they realize after a while, Spock sort of gets on the computer and says, calculate how much time or how much fuel the captain has left in that shuttle before it can make, you know, before it goes past the point of a safe return journey to the starbase. Like, it's going to run out of fuel if it goes a certain distance. And the computer says, it is already past that point. <laughs> so Kirk is forcing Spock into a position where he has to pick up the captain, because otherwise the captain's going to run out of energy and probably life support. He no longer has the option of taking the shuttle back to the starbase. He's forced whoever stole his ship into a position of either letting the captain die or bringing him aboard to answer for what the hell you did, which is a very Kirk move to put himself in danger like that for his ship. So... At this point, Spock calls the Doctor to the bridge and says to the Doctor, We're bringing aboard Captain Kirk. When he comes aboard, he will be taking command. Until then, Doctor, as you are now the ranking officer on board, you are to take me into custody. I put myself to you for arrest for mutiny. <laughs> it's just kind of this moment where, like, McCoy can't believe what's happening. Even Uhura, like, takes out her little earpiece of communication and like stands up from her station the whole bridge stops and turns like what our vulcan just put himself in he just let himself get arrested for mutiny like why the hell is he committing like it's great the shock factor on the bridge is amazing everyone can't believe what's happening even the doctor is kind of flabbergasted he's just what <laughs> like, he's like, you mutinied there was no communication this was all you and he's like yes doctor and then he, you know, gets sent to, well, Spock gets sent to his quarters, and Kirk comes aboard. He gets tractor beamed on and takes command again. And he comes on board with the Commodore, and they discover, which, by the way, I should mention, when the Enterprise left, they also took Pike. As they were leaving, they beamed Pike aboard, because he goes missing, which was the first sign to Kirk that, like, yeah, something's wrong. Someone's stealing my ship, and then someone screams, like, Pike's gone. But if someone has just kidnapped Captain Pike and his ship, that's why he was chasing them. So now on board, you've got the Commodore, you've got Kirk, and you've got Pike. You've got Spock under arrest, and you've got Kirk back in charge, and the Doctor on board explaining everything. Now, the ship has been heading toward Talos 4, 
Talos 4 is the General Order, I think it's General Order 7 of Starfleet. Commodore mentions to Kirk at this point that the last death penalty on the books for Starfleet is Talos 4. Communication with or visiting of Talos 4 or even just entering the system is a punishable offence by death. It is the last death sentence they have on the books and it's a pretty big deal. As you saw in the pilot episode, the Talosians are very powerful. There's a reason Starfleet's afraid to go there. It doesn't want people exploring there. Like, exploring there could lead the Talosians to starting slave colonies. Imagine if they got off-planet. Imagine what one Talosian could do if he got to Earth with that kind of illusion power. You know, this, this system is basically quarantined for the galaxy's own safety. Now, at this point, Spock is put on trial because... You know, he has to be put on trial for what he's done. He's basically up for the death penalty now. And they ask him why he did what he did. And he then says, I will explain. Let me show you on the view screen so that I can explain my actions. And at that point, <laughs> we get a really cool sequence of events where the Talosians are actually sending an image to the monitors there. And they're showing them all the events of the pilot episode. This is where I said this is where it becomes a bottle episode. Because the first bit's kind of cool. There's a little bit of Starbase. There's a little bit of, like, the office and a few different locations. But for the most part, they're all basic locations that I think we've seen before with a little bit of difference to them. You know, they're just redoing old sets. And at this point, it basically becomes a bottle episode. It becomes Kirk, Pike, and the Commodore sitting around a table... They are the three judges over Spock's trial. A view screen that sits across the room from them, where they are watching the events of the pilot episode about Captain Pike and the Talosian mission, which presumably has been made confidential, so no one has actually seen this footage. But the fun part, too, is that as viewers of the show back in the day, this would be the first time you would be seeing the footage as well. Now, you know, because like I said, back then the pilot wasn't publicly aired it wasn't until much later it became something that was put on syndication that people could watch and these days is on all the netflix and stuff but back in the day no one had seen it so this was the first viewing of that pilot episode through the eyes of kirk the commodore and spock now and again that episode would stop and there would be bits and pieces where the commodore and that would talk they would go over the issue and be like what's going on we need to not go there why are we watching these images? He is up for the death penalty. He kidnapped. He committed mutiny. But anyway, basically, Captain Pike is put on the board because they needed a third command level officer. Pike is a command level officer. He is sound of mind. And as Spock says, if you look at the books, you will find he is still on the active duty list, which means he is on the board, which is perfect because it lets him watch it all again. Reminds him in the state he's in that there is a place he can go. It shows Kirk and the Commodore what's going on. And basically, that's what happens. It becomes a bottle episode from that point where they just sit there and they watch it. They occasionally comment on the events. And Kirk, I think halfway through the episode, there's a point where once Kirk sees the images of the Talosians, he learns about Vina and how she was injured and how this place allows her to live a full life where her mind is still active. And she can still be herself. He starts to understand why it is that Spock did what he did. Because Spock is a deathly loyal man. He's loyal to both Pike and Kirk. Pike is in a position where he's not going to live much of a life. He's going to die in that chair. He's basically a vegetable. And I can't imagine a more depressing existence. The Talosians offer him life. 
They offer him more. And Spock is willing to risk the death penalty if need be to get his old friend Pike there. And I think Kirk knows that, and he sort of learn he understands that as the episode goes on, you see, he goes from being angry, like, what have you done? You're risking my career, you're risking your career, your life, to kind of, he's not as aggressive. He's still not completely in agreement with it, but he sort of hits a point as the episode's going where it's clear that he gets it. This is something Spock would do for any captain. This is something he would do for Kirk if Kirk was in that position. That is who Spock is. He is a loyal friend who will do whatever he can to help his friends. And I think Kirk appreciates that. Because he knows damn well that he would get that same level of loyalty. And it's hard to be angry at someone when really what they're doing is being nice. They're being compassionate and they're helping a friend. You you can get upset at some of the actions sometimes, but if that's what they're doing, it's hard to be angry at someone. Now, by the end of the episode, you know, they basically watch, and it's not just clips, they pretty much watch the entire pilot episode, which is a big part of why it's a two-part episode, because it's an episode within an episode. So, there's, like, the first half of the first part is sort of a standalone episode, and then there's the clip show, where we go to the trial, and we watch the pilot, which goes across the next half of part one, and most of part two. Until the ship, because the computers, mind you, are still locked out, no one is able to access the computers who are still navigating the ship towards Talos 4. No one's able to access them, they're trying to shut them down, but Spock is refusing to, until they get there, because it's for Pike. So, no one's able to stop the ship before it gets there, it's going there regardless of what anyone wants. By the end of the clip show, Kirk agrees, like they actually get a message, well, sorry, by the end of the clip show, the Commodore just fades away. And that's because the Commodore was an illusion by the Telosians. The real Commodore is still on Starbase 11. Except they do get a message from the real Commodore who says, We received the same transmission you did from Telos 4. In this incident, because of the need from Captain Pike, we are waiving all criminal charges on Mr. Spock. And what, to, and what you will do with this, we're going to put to your discretion, Captain Kirk. So they're basically giving Kirk permission to be like, you know, if you want to punish Spock, that's on you. He will not be given the death penalty. We can throw him in prison if you want. If you want to turn around right now and take over your ship and not take Kirk, um, Pike there, that's on you. But they're giving him full permission to do what he pleases. They're also basically saying if you wish to go to Talos 4 and give Pike to them to let him live that full life, you will not be punished and neither will Spock. So the episode basically ends with Pike going down. He reconvenes with Vina, which is kind of nice, you know. It's nice that we got to go get a round circle story for that Vena, that pilot Vena episode, and Pike. Pike wasn't just written out of the story, he was given an end to his character. It wasn't left open-ended, and I kind of like that. He got a semi-happy ending. He got to be a hero that saved the cadets, but he also got to go back to Vena, who also got Pike back, because she did like him, so... You know, they both get to be happy. The Talosians get more people to have fun with and enjoy the memories and do their thing with. And Kirk probably has a newfound respect for Spock. Again, which is, like I said, the start funny because they already had this intense loyalty to Spock and this belief that he could do no wrong, which I think is only strengthened by his actions in this episode. But yeah, what a cool episode. Honestly, it's one of... One of the most memorable episodes of season one, I have to say. I really enjoyed this. 
And it's because often the captains, they live a hard life. They sacrifice a lot for the sake of their people. And they don't often get a happy ending. And I feel like this, while it's not a completely happy ending, you know, he's still in the chair, physically he's still broken, but he gets to live a life. He gets to be happy. That's more than most captains get. I'll say that much. Most captains don't really get the typical happy ending throughout Star Trek. They Their life is to sacrifice for their ship, it seems. Except Pike. Pike gets to have it, and we're all glad for Pike. And we're glad for Vina. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a cool episode. I don't really have much else to say. Um, one thing I will say, this was the first, as I mentioned, Kirk was chasing them in a shuttle. Now you might have noticed, I said shuttle. This is the first time we had a shuttle. There was a few episodes before where we talked about the fact that there not being a shuttle seemed weird, like Sulu and that was stuck on the surface of that frozen planet. No one could help them because the transporter was broken. Seemed really odd that they couldn't use shuttles. <laughs> you know, they finally fixed that. It seems they've got the budget. We even got to see, as Kirk got tractor-beamed onto the ship, the shuttle bay for the first time in the series got to be seen. We got to see Kirk's shuttle sitting in the shuttle bay. Which means the ship now has a shuttle bay, and shuttles are now a thing. They now have the sets to do shuttles. So going forward, we're not going to see, you know, I won't say we'll see shit tons of shuttles. This is not Deep Space Nine. We're not going to spend whole episodes inside of shuttles. But shuttles are now an option. They are something that can be brought up. They are something that can be used. And they now exist in Star Trek canon as of this point. So thanks for coming by. This has been The Menagerie, the end of Captain Pike, and a fun little episode of Spock risking the death penalty for his friends. Not for the first... Well, this might be the first time, but it won't be the last time that he does stupid things on behalf of his friends. So thanks for listening. I I do want to apologise for the seven-day special turning into a kind of messy eight-day special because I missed a day and there was one day where I uploaded twice because I didn't upload the day before. I don't know. Let's just say I'm not good with schedules. I struggle with this stuff. Next time I do a seven-day special, it won't be quite as last minute, and I'll do my best to try and pre-record a couple episodes when I start so that I'm not as under the pump when I'm doing it. But we will do seven-day episodes again, I promise. But anyway, until then, I will see you all next Wednesday for your regularly avoided episodes, and we'll see. I don't know how often I intend to do seven-day episodes, but for now, we're going to go back to the once-a-week until I'm feeling up to doing it again. Have a good day.